Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast where we bring you exciting stories, conversation pieces, adventures from all over the country with one goal in mind and that is to get you guys inspired, energized, and ready to go outside and maybe work a little harder towards your outdoor dreams, whatever they may be. I am your host, Walt, and I am joined by my co-host Chase, the big buck killer from the other side of the state of Florida. Dude, have you killed anything lately? (laughs) I've killed some time lately. Um, I haven't been out as much, uh, here recently. Uh, I'm kind of getting geared up. It's, it's, uh, it hasn't been as active as it was a little bit earlier season. Um, I don't know what to attribute that to, but hadn't quite been, uh, as jam up early season, but I've got some deer that I'm after. Uh, I got the old, uh, muzzleloader out today, uh, getting it cleaned up, getting ready to make sure it's sighted in, um, our black powder season starts on Saturday. And as you know, that's my favorite time of year. Uh, for, oh yeah for one of my areas so i'm getting super pumped about that and uh that's about it man and i'm working on all kinds of uh school work and other classes that i'm taking so i'm I'm staying busy how about you what what are you doing i know your season's getting ready to start pretty soon yeah no it is uh i'm sitting at oh 10 days away as of tomorrow so we Nice. By the time this drops, probably sitting about uh, nine days away or so, but or ten days. It just depends on when I can get this out. But okay. uh, either which way, the season's close. Um, the next few days for me are going to be, you know, kind of double checking some historic sign, making sure that uh, you know areas that held deer last year are still holding deer this time of year. And I actually got some new trail cameras that I'm going to drop on some lottery area hunts around here and kind of take an inventory of what kind of animals are are cruising through there. So. Um, ideal world in the next couple of weeks, I will have ironed out and kicked off my season, uh, ironed out my plans and kicked off the season. So I'm excited, dude. But outside of that, shooting from the saddle, tweaking my, my, my gear setup, my backpack setup, and that's about it, dude. I'm just ready to get out there and, and, uh, to, to punch some tags like you. Yeah, man. Well, I'm, I'm rooting <laughs> for you. Get her done. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Uh, well, listen, we've got an awesome episode, and I feel like we should keep this intro kind of short because I honestly think this is going to be a, a, a classic with the listeners. We've got a Byron Horton, who has been on the podcast several times. Y'all know him as the Whitetail Experience on uh, YouTube and Instagram. Great group of guys, Dave, Byron, Andy, um, Zoe, another guy that they that, that's just a stone-cold killer there. All these guys out of Ohio hunting public land, and Byron – he and I talk all the time. This, you got to actually meet him and be introduced on this episode, and I think you kind of came away with a with like a, a positive opinion of the episode as a whole. I think it's going to be good. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Byron seems like a great dude. It, it kind of seems like we both kind of have the same attitude when it comes to hunting. Uh, we both think uh, that hard work pays off. So it, it was great to finally uh, get a chance to uh, talk to him and uh, listen to some of the the strategies that he uses in Ohio, and hopefully maybe I can. Uh, take some of those and uh, use them down here as well. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. But before we get to that, why don't we go ahead and do this? We need to thank the people that make this podcast possible, and that's twofold. One, the title sponsor of this podcast is Tethered. If you guys are just new to the show, you need to go back a couple episodes because there's been almost 200 inches of antler killed by this podcast. Obviously not by me because my season hasn't started, but Chase has killed 200 inches of antler out of his saddle this year. It was a game changer for the first deer, uh, made the second hunt even easier. It's an awesome tool for you to use. And if you already have your saddle or if you have a saddle from another company and that's okay, you need to get the Predator platform. It is hands down the easiest, simplest way to make a saddle hunting experience super comfortable. There's a lot of people who talk about how they can't get comfortable in a saddle. Personally, for me, that comfort comes from having a good platform that I sit on. So www.tetherednation.com and in the notes, let them know we sent you. We might have some cool things coming from them. But if you listen to this episode and you think, dude, these guys are doing an awesome job and you want to help us grow the show, we're investing in camera gear, we're looking to to record these in person with some of our guests, or just Chase and I as well, and we're also looking to make several trips across the country, Patreon is your way to support the show. What Patreon is, is a, is a monthly pledge. You you can choose from a 2 a 5 or a $10 tier, and there are additional benefits that come to each of those tier. And every month, you get charged for that tier amount, and that money comes into our pockets, goes right into the production of the show. Chase and I don't make any money off this show. We put it 100% back into the production of video or audio content for you guys. On that note, when you join Patreon, you get a shot a shout out on the podcast, and we had an explosive few weeks. So I'm not going to get to everybody on this one, but I'm going to run down some of the people who signed up for Patreon. Josh Shinaberry, dude, thank you so much. You sent me a Facebook request. I added you earlier. I appreciate you. I just put the connection to the name. Alex Plu, Alex Plu, Kristen Yule, John Porter, Gavin. Matthew Holland and Dads and Angels podcast. Thank you guys for signing up. That money's going right into video equipment here for the next couple months for us. And uh, we're looking to expand our YouTube channel and we're doing it with those guys' help. So if you if you signed up for a tier where you're getting a hat or something like that, stay on the lookout. I'm going to be sending that to you guys. But also our way of saying thank you. Just going one more step to let you know, guys know we appreciate everything you do. We do quarterly giveaways, and this quarter I am proud to announce we're going to be giving away two Havilon Perantas, and these came highly, highly recommended from Chase, who has a lot of experience. Uh, in fact, he said if you have one of these in your backpack, you kill a 200 inch, uh, two inches, 200 inches of, of whitetail in a season. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's exactly <laughs> what you said. I hope 400. 400. Oh, see, see, guys, there you go. Right there. Sleep deprivation is getting the best of me. You're going to kill 400 inches of antler guaranteed with one of those. And uh, <laughs> if you sign up for Patreon at the end of this quarter, we will be giving away two of those. One, uh, to obviously, to each person. And so you got two chances to win. I think it's an awesome giveaway. I think each of those comes in at a value of about 60 bucks retail. So, yeah, I think with that, dude, we've got everything out of the way. Why don't we go ahead and let everybody enjoy the show? Let's do it. All right. All right, guys, we are live with a guest that we've had on the show several times now. I think uh, this might be his third time he's been on the show, second or third for sure. And uh, he he is uh, pretty much death in the Ohio whitetail world, especially when it comes to public land. Uh, you know, deer wake up in the morning, they kind of feel a shiver run down their spine. It's probably because this guest is, uh, you know, he, he he's entered the woods that morning. They know it. Death is near. And uh, welcome back to the show, Byron, dude. How are you? Dude, I am excellent. It is mid-October, and the weather has changed. The leaves are dropping and starting to change. I mean, uh, I'm full jack, man, ready to go tonight. <laughs> That's awesome, man. We got a an exciting show lined up, but for all of our long-term listeners who know who you are, and for the guys who just found the show, why don't you kind of give everybody a rundown as to, to who you are, the, the page that you run, and, and kind of what they can, you know, give them the, the 411 on, 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 on what you do. Yeah, yeah. So I am the kind of founder and producer uh, at the Whitetail Experience, which is uh, kind of like an online web show slash like a YouTube channel. And uh, everything that we do is generally geared around uh, public land hunting. We, we, we spend most of our days, you know, on the public lands here in Ohio and starting to venture off to some other states whitetail wise. Um, 
you know, really got started about three and a half years ago doing that and, and kind of developed some skills as a uh, photographer and videographer as well. And, and so I, I've kind of been able to branch out and work with some, some, some bigger brands on some, some projects that, that people have probably seen with, with Lone Wolf Custom Gear, XOP. And, uh, I used to run around a decent amount with Kyle Knoll. So that's kind of who I am and, and I guess, uh, you know, boy, what I'm about. Yeah, for sure. So for all the guys who don't know who you are, how did you uh, kind of get into hunting? Ooh, so I actually got a super late start, I feel, uh, from most people. I uh, I got the invite from a my best friend in high school, uh, Corey Yager, and uh, he's like, dude, you, you got to come out hunting. And, and I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, city kid. My, my cousins were all in the country, and they grew up shooting guns and stuff. And I was always kind of fascinated, but... Uh, you know, Corey invited me at age, let's see here, I would have been 18, I think, 17 or 18, and uh, went out for gun season, and I remember his dad pushed me probably a solid 130s plus, and I, I remember thinking in my head, I got to at least send one bullet at this thing, because he's done all this work <laughs> to put me in position, and I don't even remember if the crosshairs were even on the buck, but... You know, that kind of, that, that intrigued my interest. And then the next year I had a borrowed like onesie coveralls and a crossbow. And, and uh, you know, then I, I saw what bow hunting was like and, and the extended season and really chasing deer and seeing the rut. Um, that's, that's what launched it, man. And went to college and, and started hunting public land and uh, squirrel hunting and kind of honing some woodsmanship skills and, you know, that that's that's where I, I got my start and, and a little bit later, but it was like head first. I was obsessed and and that's that's my passion now. That's all I did, I wanna do, man. That's awesome. So how old were you when you killed your first whitetail? Ooh, first whitetail, I was probably nineteen. Um and then yeah, I think I was nineteen, I, I killed a doe with a crossbow. Uh, put down the crossbow. I, I decided I wanted to, to, to bow hunt with, with a you know a vertical bow in, in the compound world. That next year, that next year, did I kill my first buck with a compound? Um, I think that was that next year. I, I killed like a, a five point one eyed Willie. He only had one eye. And, uh, that was on my grandpa's piece of ground that he he uh he passed but uh, i can remember watching deer hunting on like espn with him and he told me when he had cancer he's like man if i ever you know get better i'd like to try deer hunting and i i think that probably played a little bit into you know me thinking that maybe that's something i want to try but back then i had access to 80 acres in meg's county which is a pretty good county in ohio and um that land got sold obviously in college and, and so like that's kind of what uh i just lost my private land access and that's when i kind of started hunting public land so what was that like being uh, pretty much an adult grown at, at 19, killing your first deer, coming into the world of, of taking something's life? How did that impact you? You know, I, it, you know, the, the whole taking of the life thing was kind of just part of the process for me. I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the chess match, match and the pursuit and, and um, more of the memories with, with the, 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 the bond of guys that I was hunting with. Um, that was what really like like hooked me as far as the actual like final moment yeah it's you, you know it's not just it, it is death but you know i i look back at some of my deer hunting memories and it doesn't involve that that final 10 seconds of that animal's life it's it's joking with your buddies it's you know uh, trying to jump a jump your truck and dave's telling you to keep hammering it and then you, you know your truck and every time you look at that den you you, you think back to that um you know, just laughing, cutting up. And, and, and I remember the first couple of years I hunted, I would be so excited on like an October 5th weekend, like a kid on Christmas, like not being able to sleep for, for the first couple hours I laid down in bed and just tossing and turning. And, you know, that's, that's to me what, 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 what kind of just hooked me. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. We, I had Byron on the first time was, uh, seven, it was the very last day of July, 731, 2017, and I have had the luxury of being able to keep up with you and Dave and Andy. Um, you know, I talk to you probably more on a, on a day-to-day basis than those other two fellows, but, you know, they give me hell whenever George is not doing well or, uh, you know, little things <laughs> like that. But, uh, <laughs> um, 
it, it's always been cool kind of to see you grow as a hunter, man. You know, like I know, I know you were killing stuff well then, but like even, even from the last two years that I've seen you, I've been able to see you evolve and, and your videography has evolved, which means you can document your hunts better and, and, and more frequently. And, uh, I, I encourage people who, who enjoy good, like, you know, do it yourself, public land. If you're, if you're into that kind of thing, the whitetail experience is definitely something that people should check out. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Walt. And, and you know, that channel is not only just like bow hunts, but also some like quick tips on like, like a uh, self-made easy hang system for if you're a, if you're a, a tree stand guy and you, you run, you know, one of the light stands or like, you know, I do like stick tests, like how I, how I can get with like three and four sticks plus or minus eighters, like, and how, how that affects what I'm doing. Um, little stuff like that's on there, not just, you know, raw, just hunts, but yeah, we try to do some tips, some tactics, some funny stuff. And then, you know, we do try and put out a, a good videography types, you know, shorts as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So l- l- let's kind of give everybody a background to your style of hunting. Obviously you hunt public land. Do you consider yourself like a food source type hunter, a hunt the rut kind of guy? Or are you a, a beast style hunter as, as is the cool thing to say nowadays? Sure. I would say it, it's been an evolution. Like I, 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 I've kind of cut my teeth on, on hunting terrain features. I feel like early, like I was, I was always big on all, oh, let me hunt saddles and, and, and hogbacks. And I, I hunted those regardless of the time of year. Um, as far as, you know, I used to bounce around in a, in a super expensive climber and then I got a better one, you know, once I, I got out of college and got, got a little cash and, now it's the, the the stand and sticks game and as far as like how i would say my style it's really i feel like evolved uh like you mentioned as far as the last couple of years i'm i'm definitely keying in on, on on bedding areas and and you know as far as being an actual beast i i don't claim to know like this buck's bedded off this point every year it's only a matter of time kind of thing i uh i say i hunt bedding areas or impossible buck beds and and, you know, harder to access type areas and, and areas that don't look good to your average deer hunter, whether that be like thickets or old pasture. Um, that's the kind of stuff I'm starting to key in. on. I'm not like uh, I went for a hunt last week and this is a perfect example. And I walked into this oak flat. Oh, I've hunted that oak flat and I, I, I passed a decent buck there when I was in college. And, and I know I could have stayed there and, and, and shot a doe, but I pushed all the way back into this like edge of a, a super nasty thicket full of honeysuckle and, and different brush there was a few oaks right there but like you know i was hunting to kill a good one i wasn't even hunting to, to kill those or see deer in general right. but i was hunting in a location that i felt if there was a good buck and i might be able to lay eyes on them in daylight that was what that was the position i was trying to put myself in so that's what i'm doing more and more um this year i feel like kind of the, the next gap in my my game is constantly in se- like in season scouting taking a bigger priority and and so that's that's something i'm really trying to do a lot of and i feel i've done a fair amount of um here in the first oh 18 days of, of season here in ohio um do you ever target specific bucks on public land or you're just you know that general areas are traditionally good and you just set up in those areas so I'm not going to lie. I will, I will hunt a few, few bucks that I have sheds off of and trail cam picks up. Yes. I will say, okay, tonight I want to go after hitchhiker. Um, you know, I know I've got some trail cam pictures, repeated trail cam picks in this area. Um, you know, if there's some big bucks signed down, it could be him. Um, or I got a match set of a deer that, that I'm probably going to try and hunt on, on Wednesday. Um, you know, this buck was roughly 135 last year as a nine. And uh, true that, you know, those sheds could be his winter range. And I've got a trail camera in there that I haven't touched all summer. Um, I probably won't even touch it, to be honest. But, yeah, I'm going in there hoping that I'm going to target that deer. But, you know, on public land, I'm not holding out for, for a certain buck, at least at this time. Now, if I had a giant, maybe I would. But I'm just kind of looking for – Oh, for me, uh, mid to upper thirties, 10 and, and maybe like 120 inch eight. Like I'm, I'm hunting areas that, that are going to hold good bucks, not necessarily a specific buck, uh, on a, on a regular basis. I'm just hunting a, an area I feel a good one could be. Right. 
I mean, that makes that kind of makes sense to me. I, I never, because you probably have so much competition. I don't hunt as much public land, but what what is the competition like in Ohio on public land? Is there are there a lot of hunters that hunt public up there? Um, I would say that some pieces definitely get hammered. I mean, if you're close to cities, um, if you're getting close to the ruts or like opening day, and obviously gun season's a whole different game. But, <laughs> Uh, Ohio does one. We have a lot of people, um, you know, rural counties in Ohio are looking at, Oh, 60 to mid 80 people per square or per square mile. And for example, a couple counties I've hunted Wisconsin, the County I hunted in Wisconsin had like 35 people per square mile. Um, so the, even the state, uh, Indiana, one to the West of me, it's, it's like 40 ish people per square mile. So, there's, there's more people, um, you know, here in the state. I mean, we got, you know, a decent amount of big cities as far as Cincy, Cleveland, Columbus. And then you can kind of throw in some second-tier cities like like Akron, Dayton, um, uh, Toledo. Um, so so I would say our pressures uh, – actually, in North American Whitetail, we were the fifth most bow-hunted uh, pressured state as far as hunters per square mile. And obviously, the out-of-state pressure gets ramped up because of the cheaper tag and – and the amount of public land we do have. Right. I, I, I hear a lot of like Pennsylvania guys saying that they hunt Ohio. <laughs> um, so I, I can imagine that you guys get some pressure for sure. That's probably why it's, it's up there that high. Um, yeah, that, that's good to know. Um, is there any, I'm trying to think of, is there uh, any other strategies that you kind of implore during the season that may be out of the box uh, for your style of hunting? Um, uh, I got a few like canoe or, or deep Creek crossing type, uh, uh stuff that, that definitely helps. Um, I would say once I go to the big woods, um, we can, we can go, you know, up and over hills, you know, we're, we're decently like most of the guys are, are, you know, right around 30 and, um, you know, I'm a pretty fit guy. And the fact too, we can call a buddy and get a deer out of a deep ravine. I mean, Andy shot a doe last year in an area called the seed tick and i think we drug a doe a doe like a mile point two and it was deep in a bowl and like if you'd have been a single man if you weren't going to pack the thing out like you were going to drag it solo that's a that's a miserable <laughs> zoe killed a deer the other day and had to drag it a mile by himself a doe oh wow Jeez. so so yeah like definitely distance and, and the fact that we do have a, a team aspect to, to get deer out that 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 does help and that is a, a tactic we use. And then we've got honey holes too, you know, Chase, like, um, Dave's got, tw Dave and Andy have like 12, 12 years experience on, uh, you know, a couple pieces of public. I've got, oh, I've got eight to 10 on one and four or five now on another. And, you know, so, so that helps tremendously we're like we have the blueprints and we generally know like if, if we see a decent amount of pressure here we can walk into those areas and tell if they're hot or not just because we've hunted them for for some time so is would you define your areas as only those that you have to go a distance or do you ever hunt closer to the road um i uh, i killed the buck we're going to talk about later Ooh, two no he was he was quarter mile half mile easy walk um, I, 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 he, a straight shot from the parking lot, he couldn't have been more than a half mile and, and maybe slightly under that. So that's, and it was, you know, there was an access path in there. Um, you know, it was, it wasn't a hard walk. Um, that, that's something too. Like uh, a lot of times, like if, if a walk might be far, but if it's on a road or a hiker trail of some sort or a main access path, that's not terrible. Like you just got to put your time in and walk those things. Now, if you've got to fight, 300 yards up a cliff of death that's a total you know i've i've got i got a few areas in in more of what i'll call a big woods environment where i can hunt you know closer to the road just because you know it, terrain terrain dictates that that i can do that so i i want to kind of go back to trail cameras because this is a topic that you and i i have the luxury there are about three people i call on the way home it's either chase uh you if my wife is listening it's her um, yeah. <laughs> but there's only like two or three people that I call on the way home and you and I bounce ideas off of each other. You have a really interesting view on trail cameras. 
how do they fit into your like hunting scheme? Because you don't really rely on them, but you do use them. Correct. Yeah. In in years past, like I've just let them be like long term like soakers, like eyes in the woods while I'm hunting. You know, I'm hunting areas that that I've, I've pre scouted and they're scouting during season. Um, I um, the more I do trail cameras. Like, I just kind of need a, a proof of life and a, a proof of caliber. You know, like, I may um, have them on a, on a particular piece um, just to learn, like, okay, can this can this piece hold a three-and-a-half-year-old? Um, you know, because that's kind of what, what I'm looking for. I don't I don't really rely so much on them, and, and, but I will use a lot of the long-term type soaking um, use of my trail cameras. And I've, and, and I've really never really gotten invested in trail cameras as far as good, reliable ones until really the last two years. Um, so now I've got a, uh, I've got a, a more, uh, you know, I got an arsenal now. Um, sure. I think I've got eight. Zoe's got about four or five days of Dave's agreed to punt all the trail cameras out of his garage. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he, he's, he's not a big fan of them. He just thinks that it's a, it's a waste of time. And I had a couple of debacles, I feel like, early this year on trail cameras where um, misfires uh, slightly overshot a trail, um, you know, and I just wasn't getting a good batting percentage as far as, as, as trail cameras running effectively. But late in the year, I was on fire, so it kind of evened out, and so that's something I kind of think. Um, getting a couple, you 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 kind of you can expect a third to fail, but then you know, hopefully, because you have more of them, that you're going to get some more working type sets. Yeah, you know, and that's kind of Chase. You know, I've been talking about this here lately. Is you know, I hunt a lot of public, and for the last year or so, maybe I'd say year and a half, I was like, well, I'll get it done without trail cameras because I don't want to a hassle with them, b I don't want a chance of losing them, but also I didn't want to be like in these areas too often. And I, I told Chase this year, I bought, you know, several stealth cams on Camifier and I was like, you know, I, I just kind of feel like I need to know if the deer I'm going after are in this area. I'm not really looking to be like, Oh, there's Mac daddy Brown. And I'm going to try and, you know, get after him kind of thing. But I just kind of want to know, like, is there daylight movement in this month? You know, when hunter, uh, hunters move into an area, do they push them down into the swamp bottom? And before then there's no one there, you know, like I, I kind of, I just want to build like a data set of how deer movement pressures deer here. And it's largely because there's a lot of these areas that it's all homogenous woods, right? Like there's, there's very little to distinguish where a deer might go from point A to point B based on pressure. And maybe those trail cameras can kind of help give me that proof of concept. What do you think, Chase? Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with that. I definitely agree uh, with Byron on the fact that you kind of can get a history with an area and like you can know when certain bucks and stuff show up to your area and sure. how long they're in an area to kind of go in and make an attack uh, for sure. And I have a buddy, he's been hunting some hard public land around here and he's seeing, I mean, he, like you said, he's kind of going in and finding all this hot sign and he's setting up in these areas and he's, he's not laying eyes on any deer in these areas. I mean, there's scrapes, rubs, acorns all on the ground and he's like getting real frustrated and i kind of told him i'm like hey you might want to try some you just go buy some tre- cheap trail cameras from walmart or something put them in those right. areas and get an idea it's like hey this area these deer are using this area at night or something or they're predominantly or they're not using it in the morning times or using it in the evening times um just right. to kind of give you an idea of yeah you're you're in a good area but you're just the morning times are not uh, the ticket for, for that area. So I, I definitely think they have a place for sure. I use them all the time. Uh, as far as like, say getting a good history, I've got several deer that I've been following for a couple of years and trying, cause it's just hard to lay eyes on them when you're hunting. And I've been trying to build that base of like, okay, shows up this time. He's in this area, this time of year, he's in that area, uh, another part of the season, uh, and just trying to get to those areas, uh, when I know they've predominantly been there. Um, is what I've been doing. So I, I'm a big component or proponent of uh, trail cams. Yeah. Chase, your buddy, and, and we'll, I think this could bode well for you as well. Like, like if you would get like a good trail cam picture of a, a buck caliber you're after, to me, that's also like a, a confidence booster that, okay, you know, some of this extra effort that I'm doing to to get on this, the, this buck, whether that be, you know, a little extra scouting, 
you're, you're hunting harder, you know, as far as, you know, getting after it, if you get a trail cam picture of a buck for me, like that's a little confidence booster. Like, Oh yeah, man, there's, there's some good bucks in there. You know, let's, let's get after it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And he may, it may help him figure out, Hey, my access is wrong. Maybe I'm entering in, maybe I'm entering this area the wrong way. Maybe I need to think a, a different way to come in because the camera is kind of telling me, okay, the, maybe a, the buck's coming from this area as opposed to the other area where I thought they may be coming from or the wind's wrong for that, for that uh, particular time or something. So just, just little like the intricate details that you got to think of when you're trying yeah. to close the deal on these deer yeah. uh, trail cams, I believe could help. Well, and I noticed last year, uh, you know, I had that really tough year with the hurricane and everything. I was kind of forced to, I was actually really forced to get outside my box and hunt some areas that I had scouted, but I had put off like, you know, maybe this isn't going to be a good area to produce. And what I found was in some of these like pine flat areas where there wasn't a whole lot of sign before, a lot of hunters were driving right past it, going into these hardwood bottoms. And I'm probably shooting myself in the foot for the, you know, the guys who live in this area and listen to this, but I don't care. Uh... They, they would drive past it. They'd go down the bottoms, and as they went down in the bottoms and the season progressed, all of a sudden I started seeing more and more deer in these pine flats that were wide open, and no one would have thought to hunt because there was very little food underneath there. But those deer were moving back and forth across these big open areas, and I'll be honest with you, dude. I was like 150 yards off the road. I could see trucks driving up and down the road, and I'd have deer all around me, Chase. I was sending you you know videos of the, of the spike coming through, running does and whatnot, and... Um, you know, I think I look at it. And I'm like, okay, I can hang, I can hang these cameras high and in these areas where I kind of want to confirm what the movement is. And dude, I'll be honest with you, if I know there's a good buck in an area, I'm probably more likely on a crappy day to get up and go do it still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think it makes you do some of those things a, a little more. Um, I do, uh, I do think there's a there's a fine line devoting so much time to trail cameras. Sure. Um, I found this summer like. You know, how do you ba- how do you balance that personally? Yeah, well, and, and it's interesting because I I would say I almost learned more on one particular piece from glassing it twice than I did running trail cameras. Actually, Dave ran these trail cameras. Obviously, he had he had two kind of debacles, um, and I learned more from glassing it two nights. And you're talking. You know, you drive there and you drive around for 45 minutes to an hour. Um, but if you're going to r- run into a piece and hang a trail camera, that's that takes some time. You know, it's not um, running trail cameras on public sure. land and, and, and farm or a uh, big woods environment. You know, you got to park your truck. You may have to walk a smidge and you got to hang it. That's a, you know, 10 minute, 15 minute ordeal. Um, and then you got to walk back like it's it's not a, a quick time, I, I think. If I've learned anything from my summer trail cameras this year, it's like get them out, get a lot of them out, get them in easy to access spots if you're going to move them. And the ones that you got to put a little more effort in, those might be ones that you don't pull until you you plan on hunting that area. Um, but I, I, dude, I had a trail camera literally five yards on, off a of forest road, and it was just monitoring where three deer trails came together. And obviously, these deer were crossing the road. Um, I really. I was shocked at the number of deer and consistent deer movement and, but no shooters, but you know, it was, it was one of those that literally took me 30 seconds to the truck was still running while I pulled this camera the other day. Yeah. So that a natural segue to that. And I already know your feelings on this, but I'm going to say it anyways. What if you didn't have to check them? What if you had cell cameras? It's something I've kind of considered um, here lately. Um, I feel like it might become a problem for me personally, as in like I st- I would start to chase the past, you know, get a photo. Oh, there's a deer in this area. Go after it instead of maybe you know just using that as a piece in the in the tool. What what, what are your thoughts on on cellular cameras? So I just feel I have heard so many stories of guys that killed deer because of a cell phone trail camera, and to me, it's too much technology. It's, okay. it's allowing the hunter to make a infield decision based on a very, very, oh, a, a, a giant piece of technology that like, there is no negative consequence for that. You know, if you have to walk in there and check a trail camera, you're leaving ground scent, you're disturbing, you could bump him, you know, those deer will know you were within, you were there. I, I've had trail cam pictures three days after I hung one of a buck that comes in, hits my ground scent the next three pictures because i'm on burst mode is this deer running away like that Mm. deer knew i was in there and i just feel that the cell phone trail camera 
I know a guy who, 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 who run, you know, he, he's very busy and he, um, he has killed some giants and he had access to cell cams when they first were coming out on this been a couple of years ago. And he would literally sit and sit at work, wait for a deer to go daylight twice and go in and kill a giant. Mm. And I, I've heard too many other stories similar to, Oh, I was sitting on the couch watching football three weekends. And all of a sudden late January, um, I got, I got three daylight pictures of him and I went there on the fourth day and killed him. And I just heard that story repeated way too much for me to, 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 to just be like, yeah, I think it's, you know, wireless, you know, transmitting those, those photos via, you know, you know, the, the cell phone, I just can't get behind it. I think it's too deadly. I think it's too deadly in the right hands. What about you, Chase? What do you think? <laughs> um, I think that they, I mean, they obviously serve a purpose. I always thought of like the cell phone cameras, like say I lived in Florida and I wanted to hunt some other states or whatever, and I put a cell phone camera out there. Then it would kind of be sending me some intel or whatever, where I wouldn't have to drive there and check them all sure. the time or get somebody to check them. Uh, I have a buddy that runs one. I have never run run one i've i bought one but i haven't set it up <laughs> i was like well maybe if i get a deer in this area consistent <laughs> i'll put it up um, but i've also thought about trail cams like because they can either send it to the feedback from what i understand is either right away or you can get it like several times a day like the right away or pretty close to right away i, th- I hear it drains the battery uh drastically as opposed to getting it like three or four times a, a day uh-huh. updates but i've also i've heard of guys that got a picture right away and they were they, they live not too far from there and they go out and kill the deer like that day. Like they, they go out there and the deer's still in that area and they shoot it walking into the stand. Um, yeah. and that's, that's a pretty good advantage. And I, I always thought about it for like Turkey hunting. I'm like, well, if you're out Turkey yeah, hunting and you exactly. get, a, and you get a, a <laughs> picture of a bird right then, I'm like, well, I'm just going to go set up on that other side and wait yeah. for that bird to come that way. I can, I can tell which way he's going or, or have a real good idea and never had to hear him gobble or anything and just set up and, and play the waiting game. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one of those <laughs> um, tricky situations to me. I, I haven't got into them yet, and I'm kind of worried, like you said, that, that if I did, I would just be spending all my time in some of those areas right. if I was getting constant cell phone uh, pictures of deer and maybe blowing the area up as opposed to uh, hunting like I have been hunting. Sure, sure. I, I think for me it's also like – the one benefit to me would be there are some areas that are a hellacious like effort to get to and it would be good to know if the camera's functioning properly or not. You know, like just that. Like put the foot fo- like the ability to get photos aside. I think it'd be awesome to get a ping from the camera saying, like, Yep, everything's good, still sitting at seventy nine percent battery life because I've hung cameras before and let it soak. We've all done this before and you get in there and it's like you're kidding me. I didn't even turn the dang thing on, you know, like, or, or it didn't get a single photo and suddenly it's, you know, it's cause the shutter's bad or the batteries died or something, you know, like, um, so like that kind of wireless communication would be kind of dope. And I got to say my buddy of the day sent me a photo just as it, as the camera sent it to him. Uh, it was like 1030 at night and here come three does down the trail and he sends me the photo. I was like, huh? Okay. That's pretty, that's pretty like real time. Like that's, that's legit. I could see the advantage there. So I don't know which way I sit on it, but I definitely think for turkeys, that could be a problem because <laughs> that's, that's like a live, like a daytime animal that you're pursuing. Right. Whereas a white tail, you could get a lot of your photos at night and it's not always an advantage kind of thing. Yeah. Right. yeah. But let's say you get a chasing type sequence of pictures sent to you, uh, let's say November 1st, early, early right here in the Midwest. What 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 woodlot should you go hunt knowing a hot doe ran through there? You know, those pictures come through at 10 o'clock and you can't make a move till the next morning. But if you were debating on three woodlots, that's true. You're going to the one that you've got trail camera <laughs> intel on of a hot doe running through because that's a pretty good chance that she's going to be, you know, stuff's going to be following her that next day. That's that's right. a good thought. So I, I think the way we should leave this is, uh, listeners, I need you guys to comment on the uh, show announcement of this and tell us what your thoughts are on cellular trail cameras. But we're going to step away from this and start to move in a different direction, and that's towards a freaking fantastic story. Now, I think it's evident at this point that Byron works his ass off, okay? I mean, his whole motto is hashtag hard-earned bucks. All year long, he's scouting. During turkey season, he's he's doubling up. He's turkey hunting, and he's scouting. During the winter months, he's all bundled up with Dave out there doing a lot of work. And every so often, it pays off, 
For Byron, it seems to pay off pretty frequently. He's obviously got something figured out. But last year, it was exceptionally uh, special what happened to him. And I kind of want to set the stage for this, Byron. What time of year was it uh, that you that – you, well, actually, did you have any history with this deer at all prior to this hunt? So it's kind of funny. This story starts um, in the off-season before. So that's winter, winter months, uh, 2018, January 2018. And, um, I had already killed here in Ohio. And so I was, uh, I was already starting my off season scouting, even though like, you know, you can still be chasing deer with a bow. And, um, I got a tip from a friend who hunted a particular piece of public said, Hey, you may, you may want to poke around this piece. You know, I, I see, I, I saw, you know, some decent buck sign, limited hunter pressure, still hunter pressure, but, uh, I just like what I saw as far as habitat. And so, you know, away I went. And, uh, I got on this piece and, uh, did some scouting and, uh, you know, found some concentration of buck sign and, and actually hung a trail camera in January, um, on this piece of junk, junk trail camera, just to see what's going on. I was shocked when I went back in there and pulled that thing. I had, um, those in daylight using a food source on public land, which I thought that was crazy. Um, but I also got a decent amount of two and a half year olds, um, and I got one stud and I'm talking mid fifties, low fifties, eight. Um, we called him slender man. Cause he just had, you know, you know, he had tall, long tines. Um, not the deer I ended up killing, but I actually went back through this card after, after, and I said this, this camera had a couple two and a half year olds. And I think that's something for the listeners. Like I'm, I'm after a three and a half year old generally here, here on public land or, or four and a half year old, whatever. But, I need a three and a half year old, but paying attention to what those two and a half year olds, if they've survived gun season, um, because this deer that I ended up shooting was actually on that trail camera. I went back through and found him. Wow. Um, after I harvested. Um, so yeah, that, that off season scouting got me curious about this piece. I marked some pins. Um, I felt like the area, there's a couple areas, but one in particular is what I call a buck nest and it's an old grown up pasture. Um, I haven't poked around there yet this year. Um, I've actually kind of stacked that area. I've hunted, oh, adjacent to it, in and around it. But uh, it's an area that's old pasture. It's got some trees in it, but it's got a lot of grasses and shrubs. You can't see very far, but the amount of buck sign I saw when I put boots to ground in there made me definitely think that it was worth spending some time. Um, So you fast forward 2018. um, My season was going pretty pretty good like i'd seen a, a couple of deer and i passed a couple of deer and i spent time in, oh wisconsin and indiana hunting public land um as well it rolls around to to late october and something i like to do um it, as far as late october is kind of a strategy i've, I've developed over oh, the last couple couple years but i, I work a nine to five uh, monday through friday um, and I like to burn like it, it all depends on your work, but I like to be able to burn like two or four hour shifts uh, of my, my PTO um, because then I can I can kind of time those up. If, if the wife allows and, and the job allows, I can I can take off at one o'clock, burn two hours of PTO in and get an evening hunting. Um, mm, I can hunt smart, you know, good weather conditions. So, yeah, that's what I was doing late October, actually. And, you know, on this this particular day. I was like, you know, I'm going to give the new piece a shot. Um, based on the wind direction, I, I kind of got to do a big J hooking like loop into there. I can't walk straight from the truck. Um, and that, that'll also allow me to kind of scout my way in and see what's going on. Um, so yeah, I took off from work, uh, drove to the piece, got ready to go and, um, headed in and, and, you know, I, I walked the, the big J, J type looping motion, and uh, I step into the what I call the, the thicket or the buck nest. I, I saw a fresh pile of deer poop, and it's clumpy. And I don't know if that's really true about bucks. Chase, you got any opinion? You've killed two bucks this year already. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, yes. That, that's, that's a massive buck. <laughs> uh, yeah, now I have seen that and been told that it's, that it's, that it's a buck um, in certain areas, and I would probably agree with that. Um, for sure. Okay. So yeah, I noted that and I took, let's see here, like two more steps. And I think a, a fluff or a small buck, I couldn't really lay eyes on it. kind of got up and ran. 
Um, and I really wasn't too worried. Like I, if it would have been something with antlers, I, I would have seen it. Um, and so I, I, uh, I started, I, I started working my way towards, um, a pin I had dropped and I dropped, you know, probably four or five pins over this buck nesty type area. And I had one in mind that I wanted to get to, and, and that'll play into this story, but I found a, the first good rub and, and, and then I walk another 50 yards and I am literally taking two or three steps and standing and, and not really glassing, but just standing and observing. And then I'm taking two or three more steps. That's something I, I think I'm pretty good at is uh, once I get to the area, like I really take my time on what I want to set my tree stand in because I hate to backtrack and, and I want to make sure I get it right uh, for an evening hunt when I can see, see and, and read sign. I noticed the rubs. There's a couple like better rubs. We're talking mm, baseball, like, you know, size trees in diameter. And then I noticed they go from say like 30, 40 yard gaps to now there's a rub every 10 yards. And, and I get to an area and there's three pencil, like thinner saplings, like maybe not pencil, but like quarter size, but there's four of them all shredded. And I just passed a big rub and I'm like, okay, like, I know my, the tree I wanted to hunt is another 35 yards, which in this type of habitat is a significant distance. And I'm like, I think I need to be able to shoot this like torn up saplings, this rub line. Like there's clearly, you know, this has got it going on. And and so I was, I I stood there for probably, oh, three to seven minutes. And, and, you know, like I've got my camera gear and my, my standing sticks on my back and it was a, a little heavier last year just due to some equipment upgrades but like i'm really trying to look at a tree to get into and i i, I got a cluster of a three um and i'm like i can get in that one that'll work it's not gonna be super high um so i go over there and i i i set up it's about two sticks high i think i used maybe one rope step or two um 10 foot max um on this tree um and and, and that's kind of my hunt and the wind is staying pretty consistent um i never got like i said to that tree i wanted to get to but i just felt like that was that was the spot to be um evening goes on i see nothing for a solid hour and a half and and now we're approaching an hour from 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 daylight or from from closing time and um i just see legs at like 40 yards and i'm like oh sweet deer on their feet this is good and uh i'll never forget it I saw him turn his head and I could see a white rack and, and this deer's got a, a, I feel like he must've been laying in this, in, in this type of habitat, getting a lot of sun on his antlers. Cause they were pretty white. Um, and I'm like, Oh man, that's a buck. And I remember I, I tried to find him in the binos one time. And I don't know if you guys have ever had this happen. So I tried to find him. I couldn't, I brought him back down and then I saw his antlers real good. And I didn't even need to pick those binos back up. I said, <laughs> You know, and so Chase had that happen twice this year. <laughs> no, once, once. I didn't need the binos on the first one, but the second one, yeah, <laughs> he, he was in some uh, thick, like dog fennel type stuff down here. Uh huh. And I, I picked up the binos, like, oh, I can see antlers, but it wasn't enough for me to like get a good description of what the buck was. I could just tell, okay, there's a buck right there. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I've shot a, I've shot a deer that I wish I would have glassed uh, before shooting before, and that's why I take them now every time yeah oh yeah so so yeah that but this deer you know like i said no brainer he's 40 yards and he's kind of like coming right at me um at this point he he is coming right at me and uh it's funny because there's some leaves and some shit crunching right behind me and i'm like (laughs) like i'm like oh shit is there another deer like right in this like you know are they up on their feet like you know is is this about to go down i glance back behind me and it's a squirrel (laughs) deer is now like 35 yards and he is looking for what is making this noise of this squirrel and i am like i'm like are you shitting me like this squirrel is is trying to sabotage me and uh so this deer (laughs) he's 35 yards and he actually takes a few steps like he's gonna like end up like i'm gonna have to like maybe straddle the cable on my stand or i'm debating how i'm gonna try and get an arrow in it um but he he redirects and he he comes to about Ooh, I'd say inside of 15 yards and I need like three more steps in my opinion, but I'm scared to death that he's going to hit my ground sink. He's like, he is, he is paralleling the trail that I walked in on. 
Um, and, and I am just like, you know, like I, I'm going to get busted. And, and he stops and you can see this actually in the video. And he kind of starts to like stick his nose up in the air. Like, like he, he, he might have either caught my ground scent or be wanting to check out what, what that squirrel's doing. I didn't really know, but it, it was like, I can remember it. Like I wasn't going to draw. And then all of a sudden I see about a softball size you know, gap through some timber. And I'm like, I'm shooting this deer. So <laughs> I had drawn back and, uh, I can remember aiming. I remember setting up my arrow that year. That was kind of the first year I beefed up my arrow to about 500 grains. With some, um, Oh, I had a hundred grain insert on, on top and he gave me enough of a quarter that I felt like I could do it. And I'm low. So, so, you know, that angle's a little more favorable. Yeah. And, uh, he sticks his nose up in that air. And I said, softball size, like, and I just, I, I remember letting that pin settle for a second or two and squeezing it. And it felt good. Um, that deer turns and I will never forget what he looked like when he turned. Cause then I can, I can look at him again. You know, I, I kind of had, had turned off the antler vision, but when he turned and ran away, I was like, that's a big eight. That may be my biggest buck today. And, uh, he runs out of sight and I don't know what to think. Cause I, I thought I hear him crash, but obviously I can't see it's a thicket. Um, I, 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 I kind of calm down and sick to my stomach cause I don't know. And, you know, the whitetail experience has been like inches away from, from slamming like four good bucks in a year. And so like, we kind of don't want to talk about it unless we put our hands on the antlers. You know, I kind of got that queasy feeling in my stomach. I get down, I head towards the truck. I, I avoid this skunk that's running through the timber at me as I'm on the phone. <laughs> like, dude, I shot this buck. Hold on, I got to run. <laughs> yeah, but bottom line, like, uh, Dave ends up driving down on a weeknight. And so so does my buddy Zoe. He's, like, on the western side of the state. He drives a solid chunk of time to get to me. And, and uh Dave, Dave gives me a little more confidence after seeing the footage and, and, and we start the blood trail together. And, uh, you know, my reaction, you, you, you can see it in the video, but like, I'm, I hit cla- like, I'm, I'm a little worried. Dave's pumping me with confidence. Like, Oh, we're going to find this here. We're going to find him. Um, and we call Zoe in the dark and he's trying to find us where we're at and we're yelling across this thing. And, we take five steps after that phone call with Zoe and we find him and I just Tiger Woods fist pump, Rick Flair, <laughs> you know, just Jack to the cloud nine. And he kind of buried his head in the grasses and we couldn't really see what he was. Then I ripped it away and Dave's like, Oh, you shot a giant. Like we were just, you know, two little kids just running wild. We were, we, I was so happy, man. It's, it's, it's one of those things you, you scout and you, you hunt hard. And the night before I walked by, I walked by a scrape for like two and a half hours with, with 35 pounds on my back, looking for good bucks on. I never found any. I just went home and pouted. And, and then 24 <laughs> hours later, I'm holding the biggest buck of my life. Awesome. <laughs> you know, that's what it's about right there. Like I'll never forget that day. I remember I, I drove home, I grabbed me a, a, a tall boy at one of the gas stations, and Dave told me to, when you pull into that gas station, you park far away and don't let anybody see that buck in the bed of your truck, you know, because he didn't <laughs> want to tip anybody off where we were, and and uh, grabbed a tall boy, went home, I remember I watched the footage, I kind of, I grabbed a few photos from the SD card, I stayed up, I stayed, we left the parking lot at 11, and I didn't get home till midnight plus, and I think I, I, I finally fell asleep at like two and got up at like six and I didn't even care, man. I was still running on adrenaline. I was just, you know, pumped as all get out. And, and you know, I fired the, 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 the text off in the morning to kind of the, the guys I hunt with and posting on social media and just the amount of amount of people that, that kind of like probably know how much work I put in and to kill a buck like that. That just doesn't happen. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a hard earned buck. That's, that's what that buck is. Yeah. I, I think if anybody embodies the mantra, there are very few people that I know that work as hard as you guys do on probably, I mean, I would say we've, we've talked about this many times. Ohio probably their public land probably gets hit the most out of any of the Midwest. I don't really consider Pennsylvania part of the Midwest. I mean, that's like Northeastern States. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to upset somebody when I say that and they can tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. But like, Dude, when I think of like 
where do I want to go this year? Ohio literally is the first thing that pops into my mind every year. Either that or like Missouri, but I know that Ohio gets hit more. So you guys do a whole lot with with uh, with what you what you've got to work with, which ain't a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. I would I would say too. I I would also give Wisconsin a little bit of a nod just because of the hunting heritage there. And okay. Dude, they got they got some hardcore hardcore squirrel hunters. I was <laughs> oh let boy. me tell you, I was I was deep, and I was like, "How is a squirrel blaster back here?" But they uh, <laughs> they got a hardcore squirrel blasting community up there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh man, we don't we don't get a lot of that down here. Squirrel like, hunting? No. Yeah, hardcore squirrel hunters, mm-hmm. coon hunters. At least not the areas where where I'm at. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know anybody that goes out and pursues that. Um, what about hogs? Do you guys part. have have like hog hunters or anything that kind of disrupt the normal? I'll call it wildlife flow. Uh, not really. Um, not 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 where I'm at. I mean that that we don't have like the area I'm at. We don't we don't have a ton of hogs. There are like a couple little pockets that do have hogs. Um, and, and you may get some guys that are like, cause I mean, there's guys that are hardcore hog hunters, just like we are hardcore deer hunters. It seems like they don't care a thing about a deer. They'd rather go out and get a hog. Um, so but I, I don't get affected by, uh, hog hunters at all. What about you all? Yeah, no, I think, uh, down here, deer are still king. I mean, by and large, I mean, there are some areas, I bet you went to like South Florida, there are guys that are like, they, they specialize in hogs cause they've got the swamps and the big, like the the swamp runners you know you, everybody's probably seen them it's like these like monster trucks that they run through the swamps basically um mm-hmm. but up here man once i mean it's hot it's thick there's a lot of bugs and snakes and bear if your name's walter and you know i i'm <laughs> <laughs> you know i know man i honest to god the, the the thing that's most disruptive to me and I've, i'm trying to use it to my advantage this year is the amount of people that get down like 45 minutes after daylight it blows my mind how many people around here get down late or, or, or like early in the hunt. Like just mm-hmm. the sun's been up seven forty five. Guess it's time to go home. <laughs> I don't know, Chase. I mean, you hunt a lot of private, so I don't know how much you you've had encounters with that. But when you hunted that quota, was that was that any different for you? Um, the couple of times that I've hunted those quotas, I, I mean, I have noticed it's like. I'll sit late, and then when I get down to, like, drive out, go get lunch or something uh, to go back in for the evening hunt, the, everybody's already gone. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. they, they're, they've already left. I, I never I'm the last person you. out of the woods for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's something we talk about as far as, like, you, well, you just said last person out of the woods. Like, I didn't, out of the couple states I hunted, and, and we kind of have a term for obviously the the Dickie Mo's of the world, the guys that you know <laughs> they may have. They, Dickie Mo can even have a climber, but generally they've either got some pre-hung stands, they hunt on the ground. You know, they're they're really not the caliber of guy that's that's, that's committed. And so, like, I kind of know, okay, are there any cars in the parking lot right. know, when I'm leaving, or are they there that early? Um, I pulled into a parking lot opening day here, like two and a half weeks ago or three weeks ago and and these two guys didn't have headlamps they didn't have bags they didn't have stands and i told my sister i was like i'm not worried about these guys killing the big deer in this this area um you know just quick judgment call i was like we're not going to change what we're going to do we're we're going to go in there and hump like i want to <laughs> right yeah so. yeah it's 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 interesting i think that's the only thing that i really have around here um you know, a lot of a lot of people joyriding in the woods and whatnot, but I think that the difference between here and Ohio is, you know, most of our public around here, you don't really get like, or you around here versus I think a lot of other places, every patch of timber has pretty much got a road going through it, so it's really hard to get away from people. You tend to have to like go in places that you know people don't want to be in, but you're probably never too far from someone. Um, but but I'm kind of curious. What I always ask some kind of question like this, but what about this hunt is going to make you better this upcoming year? Like from that experience, what's going to make you a better outdoorsman this year or whitetail hunter, however you want to take that? Um, I would say what, what, um, I think, I think it gave me a decent amount of confidence. Um, and, and that will like kind of boost a few different skills of mine. One like I hunted that deer two sticks high. And I think, I think that's something I find myself doing more and more of. I think it's the habitat I'm hunting in, but I have confidence now to hunt that, that kind of 10 foot to, 
you know, 10 to 12 foot range. And, right. and I would say four or five years ago, I would have said, no, man, I need to get at least like 15 plus. Like I just, you know, it, I, w- I was very tricked by the industry um, growing up and, and watching a lot of outdoor television. You don't see guys on outdoor the outdoor channel hunting 12 foot up in a locust tree that, that you know, you're jammed between – between three you know trees in and heck i actually saturday morning i hunted literally as high as i could reach my stand because that was that was a spot to be in i had two scrapes that i could shoot i had one new rub and i had a a tree that had fallen and so like i had like a makeshift ground blind literally three to four foot that probably about six foot off the ground but if i hung my stand three foot high i'd be standing right right in some of this great horizontal cover and so i would say confidence to hunt hunt low i would say confidence to to scout your way in and just go with that gut you know you you i i think it gave me that confidence to be like okay i've i've seen enough buck sign to know this is where i need to set up and and be able to adapt to to what i'm seeing and not just go to a pin because i've got a pin in a tree sure um, so I think, I think those, those two things. And then if I had a third, uh, just off season scouting killed that deer, you know, I, 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 I chose to drive to the a new piece, put boots on the ground twice, pull a camera, like, you know, off season ca- scouting really, really killed that deer in season scouting, got that final 10 second encounter. And then, uh, you know, I was able to make that thing happen, uh, at closing time. Did, did I hear correctly that you just said that uh, a trail camera contributed to the kill of that deer? Uh, yeah, I would, I would <laughs> say it did because, because I, I got that picture of what we call Slender Man, and it wasn't the same buck, but I was like, oh, my God, there's a giant in here. Um, and then, uh, obviously, there were some two-and-a-half-year-olds there on trail camera, but then, obviously, the, the boots on the ground put me in the, in the kill tree as far as, like, I'd scouted the area out, and even though I had the trail camera, of, oh, 400 yards um, down the way from, from where I set up and killed this deer. Um, it let me know that there was good ones in the area, boots on the ground, gave me to the killing location. And then that, sure. that infield decision led to the, 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 the tree to actually make it happen. Awesome. Well, Chase, unless you have any questions, I think the only thing we can left to do is figure out where Byron's going this year and, uh, where we can find his content. Sure. Sure. So, so plan plans, as far as fall, I'm going to be hunting, obviously Ohio public, um, I'm debating, uh, I'm going to buy an Indiana tag. I, I may actually end up there Saturday. Um, and if I were to kill two bucks, man, I don't know where I'd end up after that. Um, <laughs> but as far as finding my content and, and my work, uh, please check out, uh, you know, the whitetail experience, uh, Instagram page, Facebook, um, our YouTube channel. Like I said, it's, it's not only just hunts, it's, it's some tips, some tactics. Uh, we do a little bit of some scouting journals, um, with some, some quick tips. Dave's actually pretty funny on some of those. Um, you know, I've obviously got some, 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 some different productions out there for Lone Wolf custom gear as well. And I'll be the editor for, for whitetail addictions, uh, for the, the 2019 season. Whoa. I didn't realize you had that much going on. Yeah. Yeah. That, that just kind of <laughs> came out, but nice. Nice. Well, Chase, you got any closures? No, man. I just uh, was glad I was able to be a part of uh, the story, man. Uh, I, like I said, my, my kind of buck was similar. Whenever I found my buck, I was there with a bunch of my buddies whenever we found it. And to me, that just made the whole experience that much greater when you, you got a group of guys that are all into hunting and have yeah. the same goals as you are. And it all comes together and everybody's there. Uh, and it was just a great celebration. And that's what I remember most about that entire hunt. Yeah, Chase, uh, how much sleep did you get that night, man? <laughs> uh, like you said, I was running on adrenaline for a while um, after that, because even <laughs> after taking that deer uh, to where I took him and everything else, I was just like super pumped like the re- the rest of the day like i was this is like i was on a caffeine buzz like the the entire rest of the day and night man. that is the exact it, it was like a caffeine buzz that, that's the exact feeling congratulations on that deer man walt sent me the picture i think before right during the the, the announcement and i was like oh my word that is a <laughs> giant like, yes I understand. I Walt and I have this discussion a lot, and I think this is something good for the for the people. I understand the swinging inches. I mean, you kill a, a, a you know a buck here in Ohio that, that that's let's, call, let's say a hundred inches. 
you kill a buck in Florida that's 100 inches, that's two different ball games. And my friend, you killed an absolute Florida giant. So, <laughs> well, thank so you. congratulations. Yeah, man, it was a uh, it was one of those experiences where, like I said, like we did a podcast about it, and I was, uh, you, you hunt, you, you put the time in, you put all the effort in, and when it all comes together, it's just it's just one of those great moments for you as a hunter to kind of reflect back to say, okay, this is why I did all this, and it, it finally paid off uh, whenever I walked up to that deer, and I was just like, man, this is this is what I've been waiting for for the last 12 years is to come up on something like this so i can understand how like you like you kind of felt when you come up on that deer and you're like ah finally it all came together um so congrats congrats to you as well and i i wish you the best this season Uh, i'll be waiting for my invite up to ohio to hunt some public land with you guys uh (laughs) any day now Uh, no i'm just kidding but uh it'd be great to get up there and meet you guys uh at some point and do a podcast uh in person so uh, for sure Yeah, yeah, we we would love to to have an in in person time. But Walt, I think we need some of that uh, mojo he's got. Me and you should be up next on, on this uh, this buck kill streak, yeah, dude. Go for next, it. Next time I see him, I'm gonna like rub my hands together and then just like put him on his shoulder and just hope that you know like <laughs> I get some of that luck, you know, my way, you know. Yep. <laughs> I'll send it your way. Well, best well Byron, you you know, man, we talked about this in the off season. You've got an open invite to come down here and hunt late season whitetails on public ground with me and. Chase is only a couple hours away, so if we wanted to all get together and do a late season hunt, we can make that happen as well too, dude. So and it won't be near as cold, I assure you. <laughs> You'll be wearing your early season gear down here. Yeah. Swatting mosquitoes. Oh man. Well, hang on one second, dude. I'm gonna wrap this up. Guys, this is an awesome episode, and the best part about this episode is you can go online right now. Stop what you're doing. Well, maybe don't stop the podcast just yet. Listen, and then stop what you're doing, and go to the YouTube app. Look for the Whitetail Experience, guys. Hit that subscribe button, and find the videos that Byron and Dave and his and his buddies put out. And I guarantee you, you're going to enjoy them. They're relatable guys. Byron doesn't cut out any of the motion. He's just he's real the entire time, and they're a bunch of good guys. So hit that subscribe button. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram. And until next time, tell somebody about the podcast. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram, and we'll see you next time.